Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. You may be seated, but I'd prefer that you stand. Come on, show some respect. No, I, uh, I am so blessed to be here. And I show, uh, it's my love language. I tease, I joke around. Um, praise the Lord. I praise God for uh, your pastor, Samuel and uh, Katie, and for the, the family that I see at Awaken here. It's very encouraging to me, coming from the East Coast, to see just the outrageous things that God is doing here. And I said in the first service, if you think this is normal, this is not normal. There are pockets of amazing things around this country. And I get to visit these places. I get so encouraged to see what God is doing. The Lord is alive. The Lord is alive. He is working. And we are living in unprecedented times. Most of us think everything would always be the same forever and that things only changed like, you know, back in the old days. And we realize, no, we're living in times where we see history changing. We see evil in a way we've never seen before. We never dreamt we would see it in America. But by the grace of God, the Lord uses everything for his purposes, and he is waking people up who formerly were asleep. Many of us were asleep, and the Lord has used these things to shake us and to wake us up. Um, I don't know where to start. There's so much I want to say. Uh, let me ask, uh, here's a question. I can ask an anodyne question. Everybody can, can agree. Uh, how many of you think it's important to read the Bible? Everybody goes, oh, yeah, oh, yes, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And of course, as soon as anybody says that, we all feel guilty because like, well, I don't, I don't read it enough. And but we know it's important to read it. And da, 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 da. Well, I will tell you something. Um, in the world of reality created by the Lord in which we live, every good thing um, can become an idol, right? So let's think about like reading the Bible. You'd say, well, that can't become an idol. Yes, it can. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than anyone here will ever know it. Some of them knew it on a level that you can't even comprehend how they knew the Bible. But what is that worth if the author of the Bible and the one of whom it speaks walks into the room and you hate him? That's satanic, right? And that's when I'm here to tell you that better that you never read the Bible than that you would read the Bible and don't do what it says, right? Now, that's to me the particular heresy of the American church today is uh, very similar to in the book, Letter to the American Church, I talk about the parallels to the German church in the 30s. And one of the things at the center of it is this idea, remember, every wicked idea is a good idea that's twisted, right? You know, as we say, read the Bible, it's a good, it's a good idea, it's like, okay, Okay, but if I read it and then don't do it, that's really evil. I think many of us are familiar with the fact that Satan quoted scripture. That's, that's a heavy thought. Satan quoted the scripture and is eternally at war with the author of truth and the author of scripture. So I say these things just to say that we're always looking for shortcuts. We think, read the Bible, read the Bible, like, 
Okay, but the real issue is you read the Bible so that you will live the Bible and that you will obey the Bible. And, but if you get in a culture, uh, there are a lot of church cultures that they're all about, there's so much about the Bible that they kind of forget about Jesus. They wouldn't put it that way. But there are also people that are really into theology, right? Have you ever met anybody that has made an idol of theological perfection? They are worshiping an idol of theological perfection, which is to say, not Jesus, right? So uh, some of you know this wonderful stuff's been happening in Asbury, right? There are always people emerging, emerging online or criticizing it, like looking for like there was someone so was there who is off or, or whatever or whatever. And there are people that delight in finding something wrong and finding out why you are going to hell because you don't believe this and this and this and this. That's not the heart of Jesus. The Lord wants everyone to come with him into heaven. So he weeps if somebody is missing something, right? But there are people who delight in that. So you can make an idol of reading the Bible but then not living it out, which is satanic. You can make an uh, idol of going to Bible studies and studying the Bible and then not living out what it says because you think like, well, that's good enough. I read it and I know it really well. Well, the Lord doesn't really care. He wants you to live it out. If you know a little bit and you live that out, that's good. So now we think about these things because we need clarity on this. What I just said about theology, right? Like everybody says, theology is important. Theology is important. Well, if your IQ is 40, you know, the Lord really isn't going to ask you like, What's your view on the atonement? He's really looking on your heart. So it's not going to be a theology quiz to get into heaven. People say, oh, you're saying theology is not important? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there are people that don't understand that the thief on the cross, I don't know what his theology was of the Trinity. Uh, Was he confused about the Trinity? Did it ever occur to him? Of course it never occurred to him but we know he's in heaven with Jesus. And so there are people who want to take a good thing like theology and theological orthodoxy and make an idol of it, which is always a satanic project. When you take a good thing, look, the devil's not stupid. He's not going to take a bad thing and make an idol of it. He's going to make a good thing and make an idol of it and put it in front of God. And when you talk about how the elect could be deceived, that's how the elect could be deceived, okay? Nobody's going to tell you that, like, whoring and taking heroin is a way, and you're going to go, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. No, no, no. It's got to be, like, a more sophisticated approach. Get you to worship an idol of theological purity. Get you to worship an idol of, like, Bible knowledge, right? So I say that just because the book that, the new, the new book that I uh, wrote called Letter to the American Church, shortest book I ever wrote, um, is really about the shocking parallel between what happened to the German church in the 1930s and where we are today exactly now in the United States. And there's no hyperbole. Boy, do I wish there were hyperbole. I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not. And at the heart of where they went wrong is exactly at the heart of where we in America have gone wrong in the church. And these things always develop, you know, kind of it makes some sense. How do you get there? One way you get there is just by being spoiled and blessed, right? You, you understand that, that if, if everything's great, that can lead to problems, right? If somebody gives you a ton of money or uh, a ton of 
fame or whatever, like, you know, boy, that person's probably going to go wrong. Like, careful. Ever met any lottery winners? You know, can mess you up. Good things can mess you up. Early success can mess you up. Uh, and so we also, well, I want it. I want that. I want that. But it can, it can mess you up. The church in America and America in general has been so blessed over so long that to some extent it has messed us up. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that we think, well, people in other countries have to suffer for their faith. I get that, but, but not here. Like for me, spiritual warfare is like it rained on Sunday morning and, you know, I don't know. Man, that's, that the enemy's all over that. And um, we forget, because we're so blessed, that there's genuine evil in the world. And if you don't understand evil, 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 like how evil, evil is, then you'd kind of take lightly what Jesus did on the cross, you know? Like he died on the cross to make you nicer or something. You don't understand that the evilness of evil is like you don't even want to look at it. It's so evil. It's so satanic. And the Lord wants us to be alive to that. And the goodness of God is a wild, scary goodness. It is not a safe religious goodness, right? But we in the American church, because we've been so blessed over the decades, we kind of act like, well, we just need to kind of I go to church and I do this and I do that and I don't do this and I don't do that. And like, that's it. And you're like, well, no, that's not it. Living out your Christian faith. You know, when Jesus was asked, what are the, you know, what are the, what are the, what are the top two commandments? What are the most important commandments, right? One of them was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now think about this. We are commanded not to obey God's laws, not to this, that, that, to love God. Now, if you love God, of course you'll obey him and you obey. But our faith is not cerebral. All of you is required to love. It's, it's, it's something, your whole being, to love the Lord your God. And, you know, in case you miss it, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus was asked... And he was pretty good theologically. He kind of got some of this. He knew this stuff. What is the commandment? Love the Lord your God. Now, again, that's to love the Lord passionately. That's what it means to have faith. It's not some cerebral thing, right? But again, we have been persuaded because of the blessings of, of living in a country that's unbelievably f free and whatever, that you get spoiled, you get fat and spoiled and complacent, and you take your eye off the ball. You don't feel like you're dealing with evil anymore. You're not in a war between good and evil. You're just kind of like, you know, managing your stock portfolio or whatever it is that you're doing. I don't know. Um, I'm a writer. I don't have any stocks. Um, we, don't, we don't own anything, you know, like... Uh, but, but the point is that we forget that the Lord calls us to be in a war. When you are born again and Jesus comes to live inside you, you are called to participate with him in an eternal war against evil. And again, if you're living in a world where, well, we don't have evil anymore. We've kind of conquered that. We don't have, you know, yeah, they had evil in the past or in other parts of the world they have evil. You're, you're living in a false reality. Because the Lord says, well, if, if you don't understand what it is, the, the unbelievable wickedness of what I defeated on the cross, then you don't really understand anything about grace or faith. 
But our particular heresy in America, and this was exactly true of the German church in the 30s that opened the door to the evil of the Nazis, was this idea that faith is what I believe. And we have to break that down, okay? First of all, even the word belief, right? You know, the, the, the book is titled Letter to the American Church, but I was going to title it Faith Without Works is Dead, right? Because the scripture says faith without works is dead. In other words, God help you if you have so-called faith without works. In other words... We know, we all know, like our media, our minds go like, well, but I'm not saved by works, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But once you're saved, there better be a lot of works. Otherwise, it's proof that you're not saved. Can we wrap our heads around that? That means I am supposed to live out my faith. I'm not supposed to keep it in my head in some little intellectual lockbox, right? So when people say, what do you believe? And you say, what do I believe? Uh, well, I go to this church and go to the statement of faith in that church. That's what I believe. The devil knows whether you believe that by how you live your life. God knows how you live that, how, whether you believe that by how you live your life. But, but, but we've got this idea that it's like, it's faith. It's all this stuff. And I assent to this and this and this and this. And this is my view of the atonement. This is my view of the blah, blah, blah. And I, I believe all this. So I'm good, right? No. No, you're not good. Because God doesn't care what you claim intellectually. And the devil is not afraid of what you claim intellectually. He's afraid whether you live it out. And if you live it out, that's a reflection of the fact that you love the Lord your God because you know he defeated death on the cross and you are free. You don't fear death. You fear nothing. You love the Lord. You fear the Lord and you obey the Lord and you love the Lord and it's completely freeing life. It's a new reality that he calls us into. But it's not cerebral, right? If you're not living it out, you got all this Bible knowledge and you got all this, and, and, and believe me, the Lord doesn't care if you do not live it out. If you don't live it out, if you have that head knowledge and you don't live it out, you are mocking God. So Bonhoeffer perceived in the German church in the early 30s, uh, even in the 20s, he was starting to pick this up, that the, the heresy of the German church was that they got so focused on the faith alone thing. Some of you know, you know, uh, Martin Luther uh, and the story of Luther. And I wrote a biography uh, of Luther. And he was reacting to the works mentality of a very corrupt late medieval Catholic church. It, it really seemed like it was about works and you've got to do this and this and this and this. And this, and this, and this, and this. So he said, no, we got to clarify it. It's about faith. It's faith alone. Faith alone that saves you. Now, Luther, and this I find this funny, like when you find that your heroes were also idiots to some extent, right? Which just proves they're human, okay? Apart from Jesus, there's a lot of idiot in every genius and in every hero, right? Because they're human beings, right? That's apart from me and Samuel. We're just like, the Lord gave us a carve out, you know. So, but let's think about this. Let's think about this. Martin Luther was so obsessed with faith alone, faith alone, faith alone, that like a good idea like that can get twisted, right? He, in fact, I, and again, I find this funny, right? Martin Luther was so hopped up on the idea of faith alone that he had the temerity, it's actually like scandalous, that he 
looks at the book of James in the New Testament and says, I don't think this should be part of the canon of scripture. I mean, that's amazing, right? Because James says, faith without works is dead. And he makes it very, very clear that whatever cerebral faith you have, if it's not lived out somehow, it's not real faith. Now, Bonhoeffer writes about this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, which he wrote about in the 30s, that he, he saw this in the German church, that they kind of acted like, I don't need to do anything. I'm saved by faith, I'm done, I'm good. And he's like, well, no. If, if, if you're not living out your faith, you really don't have faith. You think you have faith. You fooled yourself and you think you're fooling God and the devil and your neighbors and your spouse and your kids. Like people look at your life and they know what you believe by how you live. So Luther got so crazy on this idea that he wanted to take the book of James out of the scripture out of the canon of scripture. Now, I, I just find this hilarious that, that, that there's so many people out there, they kind of like practically worship Luther, like, wow, he, was, he could do no wrong. What a hero of the faith, you know. Inv he invents Protestant Christianity practically, right? But he was such an idiot that he wanted to take out the part of scripture that he didn't like. Now, he eventually didn't. <laughs> but how is that any different from somebody saying, like, I think we should remove these passages because they offend this thing that I want to do? You can't do that, okay? So Luther eventually understood this, but that idea, a good idea, right? A good idea, faith alone, that's a good idea. We're saved by faith alone, okay? Gets twisted. And the German church, by the time of Bonhoeffer, so, you know, Luther is whatever, the 16th century, but by the time of Bonhoeffer in the early 20th century, he saw how this idea had become heretical in the sense that as the Nazis are rising in power, the German church acts like, well, we don't have to do anything about it. We, we just, for us, it's just about faith. We believe, and that's, that's all that matters, right? It's all about evangelism, going to heaven, I'm done, good. That's not what the word says. You know, you, you, you don't, like, get saved and then immediately translated into heaven. You get to hang out here for a season where you get to live out your faith. That's the point of the church, right? I mean, if the minute you become a Christian, you're gone, there's no church on earth. So the point is, we are here, appointed by God, to live out our faith. Bonhoeffer saw this when he went to the uh, when he went to New York in 1930 and 31. He was there for a, a short season. Now, the mainline Protestant church in New York, in New York and around the country, the mainline church was already dead. This is 90 plus years ago. Okay. They already were like reacting against the fundamentalists, and they were they had become modernist, progressive purveyors of garbage already in 1930. Think about this. You kind of think, how do we get here, right? So all the mainline denominations that are going really crazy now, they were basically crazy then. They basically had this kind of like, you know, like abbreviated faith, kind of like respectable faith, you know, nothing embarrassing here, right? And um, so Bonhoeffer sees this. Uh, and he's pretty dismayed because he, you know, wasn't a big fan of what's going on in the German church, but he was studying theology in Berlin, and he knew that even the liberal theologians, at least he respected them, even if he disagreed with them. But, but when he came to America, he goes to Union Theological Seminary, and he's thinking, this is just like a shallow reaction to what they call the fundamentalists, and they, they, they believe like nothing. 
and the, the, the church is useless. Now, some of you know churches like that. You can go to a really respectable church, and it is beyond useless. Like, if you're dealing with pain, sin, grief, uh, woundedness, demonic activity, that church has nothing to offer you. So Bonhoeffer goes to the black church in Harlem. He visits with a friend, and he sees what looks to him like real Christianity. Why? Because in 1930, to be a black person in the United States, you probably had seen some suffering, right? And he sees real Christianity, amazing worship, but he also sees what he calls faith in action. In other words, they lived out their faith beyond just we believe these things, we come together and we hear the word of God and we're done. He, they lived out their faith, faith in action. So when he goes back to Germany uh, in 1931, the Nazis are rising and Bonhoeffer's looking around and he's thinking, evil is rising and the German church is doing nothing because the German church had bought the idea that it's just all about faith. We don't need to do anything. That smacks of works, right? And so he writes about it. He calls it cheap grace. That, you know, they say it's all about grace. It's like, yeah, it is about grace if you actually understand grace. Do you understand grace? Do you understand that God sent his son to die a horrible tortured death so that we could be covered by his blood like you take that lightly? You're like, oh, I'm covered by grace. Wow. He's like, you don't get grace if you don't understand what this requires of you. The response to the grace of God, the response to his death on the cross and the resurrection, the response to his sacrifice for you needs to be your whole life. You need to live your whole life in joyous gratitude. Like, Lord, how can I possibly repay you? I love you. I want to live my life passionately devoted to you on every level. What do you want me to do? And you know what? It, what he wants you to do is to be free. He wants you to live freely. If you believe he defeated death on the cross, you're not even afraid to die. Bonhoeffer was killed, but he also, he had a little secret in his back pocket. You can't kill me. I will live eternally. When you kill me, I go to be with the Lord. I go to real, true life forever. Now, we're supposed to know that in the body of Christ. We're supposed to live that out. The Lord calls us to love him and to live out that kind of total faith. But the German church in his day, they kind of thought, well, we've kind of figured out how to make it very respectable and safe. And we don't need to have that kind of like all-in kind of faith. And he said, well, that's nice. But now that evil is rising, we're going to be in some trouble here because we've been playing church, right? And it's like now the Lord is calling the church to be the church. And the prophets all through the Old Testament, what do they say to the people of God? They're calling the people of God to be the people of God, right? Right? And the prophets in the New Testament era, they're calling the church to be the church, to live out your faith the way the Lord died for you to live totally freely and joyously. So, but again, if you haven't experienced a lot of suffering, if you don't really know how evil evil is, you're kind of like, no, we don't need to do that. I just need to worry about like which service am I going to and like, I don't know, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not really awake to the evil and there's as much evil now as there was at any time in history since we left the garden but we kind of act like yeah but we're in america we don't really we don't have a lot of evil here now some of you in this room you've experienced satanic evil some of you've been raped we there is evil in this world folks it is evil 
It's not bad stuff. It is evil, satanic evil. And Jesus died to deliver us from evil. And so when you act like, well, that's, that's in the past, uh, you take your eye off the ball and you get complacent, like I was saying. So that's the German church. When the Nazis are rising to power, their attitude was like, well, we don't have to do anything. And by the way, we're not supposed to be political. Romans 13, very clear. Obey the governing authorities. Well, that's a whole other sermon. But the point is that's nonsense because the whole of Scripture doesn't say, you know, you know, do this and this and this and bow to Caesar. You know, the Scriptures don't say bow to Caesar. And, and people died for their faith in the first century because they refused to put a pinch of incense to worship Caesar. Now, you could just see somebody saying, what's the big deal? Just do it. Don't worry about it. They said, no, I can't do that. So why would the Lord require anything less of us or of the German church in the 30s, right? We kind of act like, well, yeah, they, they had to go through that. They had to be tortured and be, you know, sawn into and eaten by lions, whatever. But we're, we've evolved past that. We have a really a nice world we live in now. It's like, no, the devil has fooled you into believing that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's as much evil today. Now, we've had the blessing of seeing that evil in the last couple of years. It's a blessing because it wakes a lot of people up like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So... The German church, Bonhoeffer was trying to get them to wake up and say, you are required to stand in the face of evil and not to be silent in the face of evil. The Lord calls his church to be the conscience of the state. But again, they had this idea, very theological idea, like, no, 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 we're all about evangelism. We're all about theological stuff. We don't do stuff. We don't have to, like, be political and stuff. And you think, where do you get this idea that God is just, like, theological or that it's all about evangelism? The whole idea is you're supposed to live every part of your life uh, in obedience to him and love to him. Every part of your being is supposed to be, is, is, is supposed to be given. So there's a famous quote, uh, Abraham Kuyper. There's this Dutch theologian in the 1880s, I think he said it. He said, there's not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say mine. Every part. So when people say, oh, you can't say that, don't go there, don't do that, you say, what, what are you talking about? People say, stay in your lane. The Lord doesn't have lanes. He calls you to take your faith into every lane in existence. And people say, yeah, but not politics. Yeah, that lane, every single lane in existence your faith is supposed to be lived out in every realm, in, in, the, in, in the government, in the media, in the, in the, in the education, every part of, of, of the world, we're supposed to take our faith into every part of the world. And people say, well, no, you're just supposed to pray. And you're thinking, well, you know, that's like saying you're just supposed to love your wife, but, but not your kids. You're like, no, I think if I really love my wife, I'm also going to love my kids. And if I, if I really love my family, I can also love my country, even though it's flawed, because my family's also flawed, right? Have you met my wife? <laughs> like, we're called to love a lot of stuff. And people say, well, you're, you're just supposed to love God. Your reflection, uh, your love of God is reflected in your love of everything. I'm supposed to love strangers on the other side of the world. And how do I do that? By speaking truth. When there's evil, I call it out. Why? Because the Lord commanded me, he appointed me to do that because I'm not supposed to have any fear about what I say or don't say. But the German church didn't buy that. And so we don't know who said it. I don't know that, I don't believe it was Bonhoeffer, but it's often attributed to him. But silence in the face of evil is itself evil. 
Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So a lot of people want to take this safe religious path, right? And they're like, well, we're, we're not going to take a stand on that. We're neutral. Wow. Yeah, the devil is neutral. Because if you do not call out lies, and again, I'm not saying you have to do it every minute or from every sermon, or whatever, but the point is the transgender madness is destroying lives of people you're supposed to, you're supposed to care about those people, all right? Critical race theory is destroying communities of color. And so if you're a white person and you don't speak about that, why don't you? Do you not love the people whose lives are being destroyed by that? I mean, you could look in any direction. This is cultural Marxism, but everywhere we look, we see madness, and we're now seeing state-sponsored lying on a level like, believe me when I tell you, it's hard to process how crazy things have gotten. But the Germans thought, well, we're just going to kind of sit this one out. Now, I want to be clear. There's a chapter in the book called 12,000 Pastors. Why? Because there was 18,000 Lutheran pastors in Germany uh, in the 30s, right? In the beginning, in 1933, about 6,000 of them signed the Barman Declaration, clearly saying, we will stand against the Nazis trying to take over the church. We will stand against that. We're Christians. We bow to God, the God of the Bible. We don't bow to the government. The government can't take over the church. By 1935, there had been so much bullying and canceling and threatening and persecution that about 3,000 of those 18,000 pastors were standing firm against the government intrusion in every level of life, which we in this country have just tasted, okay? 3,000 stood firm, but this is where I find it interesting. On the other end of the spectrum, there were 3,000 totally pro-Nazis, totally into the Nazis, totally into the Nazis taking over the church, you know, basically so biblically confused that they didn't get that. And of course, we have that today. We, we've got like, there are churches that are just insanely woke and they'll believe like anything and whatever, but here's the key. In the middle, so 3,000, you know, super pro-Nazis, 3,000 heroes willing to stand. In the middle, 12,000 pastors who said, we don't want to take sides. We don't want to be divisive. We don't want to be political. And it's because of their unfathomable misunderstanding of the word of God and what God required of them that they allowed satanic evil to enter and take over a nation and destroy many millions of lives in that nation and beyond that nation because of their silence, because of their bad theology, because of their cowardice and willingness to say, we're just going to stay in our theological lane. We just want to preach the gospel. Would you let us preach the gospel, Mr. Hitler? It's like, yeah, he'll let you preach your dead, little, stupid, useless, religious gospel. He's very happy for you to preach that dead, little, useless, religious gospel, your little, your little you know, gospel-related issues and stuff. Yeah, do, do whatever you want to do with that because once you leave that building on Sunday morning, you bow to the secular authority of the state. That's what he was concerned about. Once you take your faith out of that building and into every sphere as God would command you, that's when the devil gets upset. That's when the authoritarians get upset. The church is the greatest threat to them if the church is alive, if the church is awake. And that's why Hitler's number one enemy was the church. So if he could just lull the church into a sense of complacency and just to say, just don't, don't wake up yet. I think of, 
of Gulliver being tied down by the Lilliputians, you know, in the Jonathan Swift story of Gulliver's travels, right? That the Lilliputians are so tiny, Gulliver could crush them. But when he's asleep, he's asleep. And they, could st they start tying him down with their little cords. And if he wakes up at any point, they're in big trouble. But if they can keep him sleeping just long enough, just long enough, just long enough. And then at some point when he wakes up, too late. Game over. You're not going anywhere. That's what the devil did to the church in Germany. He got them to be asleep just long enough. Let's not act yet. Let's hang back. Let's hang back. We don't want to be like those 3,000 hotheads. We're going to hang back. You know, we have people on both sides of the issue here. There's some pro-Nazi. We don't want to offend people. We don't, want to, we don't want to get into that. Now, folks, that happened in America in, in the 19th century. There were plenty pastors who would not touch the slavery question because they didn't want to be divisive or political. Like, we now sit on our high horses and go like, oh, what pigs? What cowards? Well, let me tell you something. I understand why they did that. We, I know they were wrong. Uh, but I also know that there are innumerable pastors today doing exactly the same thing. Oh, they're all about condemning racism because that's cool, right? No, no, no atheist will argue with you on that, even though the atheist doesn't even know why racism is wrong, right? Like we do, because it comes out of the scripture, that God's no respect of persons. He loves it. But, but the point is that the question is, what's the issue today that we're being silent on? And I hardly need to say it. I've mentioned a few. There are innumerable issues that are saying, you can't talk about that. Don't talk about that. That's divisive. That's divisive. And you think, the Lord has called me to speak the truth. People's lives depend on whether the church of Jesus Christ will actually passionately love God enough and believe what he said, that he defeated death on the cross, to totally live out our faith now while we have that opportunity. And so the story of what happened in Germany is the warning to us because precisely what they said about why they're not speaking out is are the excuses being given today. There's a, there's a horrifying book uh, written by... Pastor Andy Stanley. I don't know him, but he wrote a book saying exactly the opposite of everything I'm saying. Like, don't be, and it's a theological mess, it's a historical mess, but the point is that there are tons of people that want to believe that. And so they say, yeah, see, like, you know, he's a smart pastor and he's saying just like, we, we don't want to speak out on this kind of stuff. People's lives are destroyed if you're silent. People's lives, so when somebody says to you, don't be political, you want to say to them, why? Is that biblical? Was it, was it political to speak against the slave trade when William Wilberforce spoke against the slave trade? He wasn't just being political. He was a politician. But because of his faith in Jesus, he took his faith in Jesus, which says that we're all sacred and made in God's image and equal, and he brought it into the public sphere, and he used politics. You use anything because truth is truth. There are no division lines in God's world. You don't, you don't say like that's stay in your lane, stay in your lane. But there are a lot of Christians that want to take that safe third way. They want to be in that middle. They don't want to take a stand. Now, the problem is they're not worshiping the God of Scripture. Because if you look at, let's look, for example, at the idea that let's say uh, a Gestapo person comes to your door and says, are you hiding a Jew? Now, if you're a religious Christian, more worried about your sin than truth and serving God, you might say, well, I, I can't lie, so I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah. I'm hiding you in the basement. Come and torture and kill the Jew, and then I'm justified for God. Huh, great, right? 
That's, that's the Pharisees, okay? They don't give a damn about that other person. They care about their own piety, and God condemns that. Jesus condemned that as, as, as not just an abomination, but as a mockery of actual faith in his Father. And you see this all through Scripture. And the Germans didn't get it, and the example that we have in what happened in Germany, the horror is given to us as a warning because I promise you, I don't have time to get into more details, it's all in the book, I hope, but the point is that, frankly, that is precisely what has been happening in America. There are innumerable pastors that won't touch any of these hot-button issues, and they'll tell you, well, because it's about evangelism. I just want to stay in my lane. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. It's like, do you not know the Lord's going to hold you accountable for the lives that are being destroyed, people you'll never meet? You know, when you read, uh, when you read the Narnia Chronicles, right, uh, there's the, the, I mean, you want to talk about the greatest theologian ever, C.S. Lewis. By the way, being compared to C.S. Lewis, what a joke. I am not even close to the, to the modern-day C.S. Lewis. No, no, no. Trust me. Uh, like, Lewis, in the Narnia Chronicles, there's a famous passage where they ask about Aslan. Who, the kids ask about Aslan, who is the lion figure, who is like the Christ figure, Right? And they, they see this lion, this big lion, and they, you know, they're looking at him, and they're a little scared, and they, they say, is, is, he, is he tame? Is he safe? And the answer is, no, he's not, but he's good. We need to understand the Lord wants us not to be safe or tame or domesticated. He wants us to be wild. He wants our faith not to be safe, but to have a wild faith that actually scares the devil because you know that Jesus lives inside you and he defeated death and you fear nothing but him. That is the only kind of faith worth having. And those of us in the Christian church today, I want to say, folks, we live in a holy hour. The Lord is allowing us to see enough evil and deception to wake up a holy remnant and to say, we've been sleeping. And by the grace of God, we have five minutes to wake up before it's too late. We know what happened in the German church. And I promise you folks, the Germans didn't dream that that could happen in Germany. The parallels to where they were as a civilization and culture and a nation and to where we are today are very dramatic. I can't go into it, but I'm telling you, they never dreamt that that could happen. But it did happen, and we know that it happened. And if you think like the Germans are somehow uniquely evil, well, then you're a racist, right? You and I, we all are exactly the same as any human being in history. And the Lord calls us to acknowledge that if I take my eye off the ball, whatever reasons I give, evil will come in. We are seeing that right now. And the Lord is looking to raise up a body a remnant, a holy remnant that will live out its faith and that will say, when you accuse me of being political, I know it's just because you don't like my politics, but I know these are God's politics and God does not uh, tell me that I can't get involved in anything. In fact, he calls me to get involved in everything and to bring his truth, which is the only real truth, which is the only real reality. He calls me to bring that into the broken world not just for his purposes, but to bless 
everyone beyond the church will be blessed. Those families that don't read the Bible, that don't go to church, they're dealing with a transgender lunacy. Their children, they don't know where to look. There are people all over this country looking around at the madness saying, where do I look? I don't know, I don't know. If the church will not stand in this hour now and be the church, and let me tell you, those churches that are dealing with these issues, okay, when you see the fire of God, that there is prayer and there is a belief in the supernatural and there is everything and there is action and there is life beyond the borders of the walls of the church. When people see that, Okay, all those churches where that's happening, they are blowing up. Their numbers are blowing up. Their giving is blowing up. They invite me to speak to these places, and they all have the same story. That the, the churches that are afraid of like losing people, so they're keeping their mouths shut, they're they're they are dying, okay, because they've been cursed like the fig tree. That that in, in their season, they are not doing what they were created to do. And the churches that are being bold on this issue, the great irony of ironies is that the churches that are not afraid to speak about everything are blowing up and evangelism is happening like nobody's business. That is God's plan. And I just want to tell you, we are each of us called in this hour, this is a sacred hour, and that, that if we do not repent and become the church that Jesus wants us to be and to be vocal and political, whatever whatever category, whatever adjective, it's, it's irrelevant. To faith in action. Faith without works is dead. Live out your faith for the sake of those people that you'll never meet that are wondering what to make of the madness in this culture right now. And if, if, if you do that now, we will avert the nightmare that is sure to come and is coming now if we don't repent. The Lord graciously gives us the example of the German church so we can see exactly what happened to them. He gives us that example as a warning to us so we can say, this is not speculation, that we know what happened there was one of the most wicked moments in the history of the world. But if you think that that cannot and won't happen here, and it is happening here, unless the church will arise and live out the faith the Lord died for us to live out. It is an extraordinary opportunity. It is a holy privilege that we get to live in this hour. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. That's the Lord's will for you. God bless you. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.